0: Program.
1: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Crismire. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Fraud is a unique kind of betrayal. When a person feels befra- de- uh, defrauded, they also feel Betrayed. Fraud is a legal term. It is a term that uh, pertains a civil offense and also a criminal offense. We're going to take a look at that today here on Viewpoint, but for a specific reason. Because in many respects, the American people are being defrauded. In fact, in many respects, within our churches, our people are being defrauded. Many people think of fraud only when it comes to financial matters. But in reality, when the Bible talks about fraud, which it does, it's not talking about financial matters at all. It's talking more in the nature of betrayal, failing to provide that which people expect from people who are God-fearing. And so today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about this matter of fraud because, quite frankly, I have in front of me an article that caught my attention because of its title, Horrendous Fraud, Americans Elected a Shell of a President. Horrendous Fraud, Americans Elected a Shell of a President. We're going to take a look at the details of that but that's not the only thing we're going to look at with regard to this issue of fraud, because there are two different kinds of fraud. One is called fraud in the inducement. Another is called fraud uh, fraud in the fact or in the factum. But everybody who falls victim to fraud feels helpless. Fraud in the inducement occurs when a person tricks you into entering into an agreement or contract it, uh, or a contract by making fraudulent statements and representations. Under different circumstances, you probably would have, would not even have signed the contract. And these are the, the legal elements of a fraud claim that is for fraud in the inducement that could make a contract voidable. <clears throat> Here they are. There are five points. One is a false statement. And this may come in the form of a lie. Or in by hiding or not disclosing facts that should have been disclosed. Second, a past or present material fact. The second part of a fraud claim is that the false statement has to be of a past or present material fact, not about a future fact. Third, there has to be intent. The third part of a fraud is that the statement it is made must be made with the intent of to deceive it is the intent that sets an actual fraud claim apart from constructive fraud claims it may be better either are based either upon an overt statement or a failure to disclose facts where there is a duty to disclose there has to be justifiable reliance the fourth part of a fraud claim that is for inducement is that of justifiable reliance and finally There has to be some sort of detriment or damage. That's the final part of a fraud claim, damage or injury of some type. And so today we're going to talk about this, and you may think, well, I don't want to talk about legalities. No, that's not really why we're talking about this. We're not talking about legalities, although there are legalities. There are reasons why we have both civil and criminal fraud offenses. With a criminal fraud case, you may be fined or go to jail. With a civil case, you may have a contract canceled, set aside, or you may pay damages to the party who is suing you. Each is a completely separate legal case. But we have all kinds of these cases today in our country and in the world. I was thinking back as I was preparing for today's program of a case that I handled, oh, about 40 years ago in California. It was a family law case. About 40%, 80% actually, of my uh, clientele came from the broader body of Christ, and about 40% of my clientele were in the area of the broader area of family law. One day, a person came to my office claiming that. Her marriage had never been consummated. So as I began to explore the facts, I discovered that she had been married for 15 years. You say 15 years and the marriage had never been consummated? That's correct. 15 years and the marriage had never been consummated. She was a true believer in what the Bible had to say about a vow. As the scripture had said, better that thou vow, better that you not vow than that you vow and not pay. And don't say before the angel it was an error. So she took the marriage vow seriously. But the ultimate consummation of the marriage had never taken place. Now regardless of what you may think about the possibility of that, you got to hear the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that I brought in the gentleman who was the other half of this marriage arrangement. I had been told by my client, the woman, that she had discovered her husband parading down the street one day in women's clothes. She had suspected some things over the years, But this was confirmation that there was something very, very unusual going on here that was totally contrary to her marriage contract and expectations. And so I brought the man into my office, and he also professed to be a Christian. And I began to inquire of him whether, in fact, it was true that he had never consummated the marriage and that, in fact, he was functioning either as a transgender or uh, whatever other name you want to a dress or whatever name you want attached to it. But because of that, he had never consummated the marriage. And obviously, since this had been going on for 15 years, he had no intention of doing that and perhaps didn't feel even capable of doing that. Well, you say, well, then what do you do? In the law of the state of California, and I think in most states, it is possible to set a marriage aside. But there are very serious and legal bases for doing so. One of those is called fraud in the inducement. Fraud in the inducement. And as I talked with this couple, uh, particularly the man, I discovered that he had never disclosed to his wife-to-be that he had this problem. He had never disclosed to her that he was a transgender or that he uh, was a cross-dresser or any of these other defects or the, the possibility that he could never fulfill the marriage vow. On that basis... I filed for an annulment on the legal basis of fraud in the inducement. And the court granted it. We'll be back. Today we're talking about fraud and betrayal, and where it fits in the broader picture of our lives as Christians, and yes, even as Americans. Fraud is the intentional deception to secure unfair or unlawful gain, or to deprive a victim of a legal right. Fraud can violate civil law and criminal law. The purpose of the fraud may be monetary gain or other benefits, for example, by obtaining a passport, a travel document, or a driver's license, or maybe a mortgage. Or how about an election? Election fraud. Obtaining an election on false pretenses? Hmm. Hmm. A civil wrong fraud is called a tort, T-O-R-T. The requisite elements of a fraud of a, as a tort generally are the intentional misrepresentation or concealment of an important fact upon which the victim is meant to rely, and in fact does rely, to the harm of the victim. My wife and I were once seriously defrauded by a Christian brother. I mean, seriously defrauded. I wish I could portray to you here on the program today the high drama that occurred with regard to that fraud over a period of about 60 days. It is one of the classics of all time, but I can't do that because we don't have video of it. The remedies for fraud may include rescission, that is reversal, Of a fraudulently obtained agreement or transaction, maybe like an election, hmm? recovery of a monetary award to compensate, punitive damages to punish, and similarly, fraud may serve as a basis for a court to invoke its equitable jurisdiction. In other words, not based purely, uh, totally on law, but on equity or fairness. Interestingly, the U.S. government 2006 fraud review concluded that fraud is a significantly underreported crime. In fact, the scale of the problem pointed to the need for a small but high-powered body to bring together the numerous counter-fraud initiatives that existed, that is, except when it came to the election of 2020. Isn't that interesting? Several years ago, a case came up in France. It was a very unique case, really took the French by surprise. A Muslim man sued his wife for divorce. Actually, I think it was for an annulment. And here was the basis. The basis for the suit was that she was not a virgin when they uh, consummated the marriage. Now, in France, that caused a huge stir, because, as they said, who would ever expect someone to be a virgin before they got married? That's the state of morals in France. Come the French Revolution and the French Enlightenment, where godlessness took over in in France. But that's the state there. But this Muslim man sued in the courts, to set aside the marriage to his putative wife, that is supposed wife, on the basis that she was not a virgin. Now you say, well, what, what could possibly be the legal basis for that? Well, it's the same legal basis upon which I handled that case so many years ago, where a marriage was set aside on the basis of fraud in the inducement. In France, the court, shocking the entire nation, granted the Muslim man's request and set aside that marriage. On the basis that she knew and should have disclosed to her husband that she was not a virgin because she knew that he expected that she was and would be, and had a right to. It just shocked the nation of France. It didn't shock me at all because it was fraud in the inducement, clear as could be. But let me ask you a a question before we go further. Have you conducted yourself in any way, and I'm not talking about marriage necessarily, but in any way in which you have actually defrauded somebody else? Maybe you made false representations in order to uh, gain a particular position, in order to gain a contractual position, in order to gain a job, in order to, who knows, Maybe in order even to get baptized, you misrepresented your faith. That's fraud in the inducement. I'm just kind of letting a pregnant silence hang out there because, you see, we live in a culture in which fraud has become almost consonant with freedom. We're free to defraud. And interestingly, the Apostle Paul, talking about marriage, said, the marriage bed is undefiled. Do not defraud one another. Now, what was he talking about? He was talking about the sexual relationship. Do not withhold the sexual relationship unless it be for very short times for prayer and fasting, and that by mutual consent. He said anything else of withholding sex in marriage is fraud. Wow. Now, unfortunately, Muslim men take that idea and turn it on its head and turn it into rape. That is, if a woman will not, at the moment, under any circumstances, in every circumstance, yield to the man's demand for sex, then he beats her, and he's entitled to. No, that may be a Muslim cultural viewpoint, but it is not the spirit of a biblical viewpoint. I just wanted to clear that up. There are reasonable expectations that we all have in life. Some of them amount, when they are breached, amount to legal breaches that may be fraud, either fraud in the inducement or fraud in fact. Others may just be unfortunate betrayals. Sometimes betrayals are actually fraudulent acts but not actionable under the law. In other words, there's no legal response to that particular form of betrayal that happens to defraud the other person. Think about this. As Christians, we are said to be ambassadors. The Apostle Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ. So, if we're ambassadors for Christ, and as ambassadors for Christ, we go out into the workplace, and our language is obscene, salty, full of sexual innuendos, bitter, murmuring, complaining angry, accusational. Have we not betrayed the Lord and the gospel itself? While professing one thing, we are actually delivering something else to the people that expected us to deliver a righteous life. Have we not, in a sense, defrauded them? I know of a young lady recently who watched a particular adult in the conduct of the adult's life and made the accusation. And you expect me... To believe what you're saying about being a Christian, and you act like that? Now, that's a betrayal of their expectation. But in a sense, it's also defrauding them of the right to bel- to. to Have an individual who professes the name of Christ to live that life out in spirit and in truth. This may be touching on a lot of toes right now. I can hear the screams out there. (laughs) Hey, listen, we all live in this. We all put our pants on one leg at a time, friends, don't we? we all have the propensity to betray the Lord and to defraud others by not behaving either in attitude or action in ways that comport to what we confess to believe in Christ. And you don't have to be like the Apostle Peter, who denied Christ three times under pressure saying, I don't even know the man. We don't have to do that. We can just display that we don't know him by the way we act and, be- and, and behave and speak at the workplace, on the ball field, at home, even at church. You know, one of the problems with teaching and preaching the word of God is that very, very seldom does it actually get applied in ways that pierce to the heart of where we the people live. Pastors don't want to do that. And the reason they don't want to do it is because they're afraid of the people. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. They don't want to have people rise up and say, why did you say that? I don't like what you said. I'm not, I'm going to vote with my feet. I'm not going to put my money in the, po- in the uh, plate anymore. So then what happens is a double fraud. So the pastor then responds in his love and service to the people over than his love and affection for God, and he begins to modify his message. He modifies his message by not necessarily not speaking the truth, but by not speaking the whole truth. Am I not bringing it all together in a way that really impinges on the listener's life so that they have to make serious decisions that would bring them to a place of righteousness and repentance? And when that pastor does that, he is defrauding his flock. I hate to put it so bluntly. That's what he's doing. He's defrauding his flock. He's betraying their expectation because they trusted him to be a truth teller. They trusted him to be the mouthpiece of the Lord. But he's not. He's become a people pleaser. And guess what? That's exactly what we despise about our politicians as we're going to see in the second half of the program. That's exactly what we despise about our politicians. We're expecting our pastors to be politicians while we're expecting our politicians to be like pastors. And in the process, quite frankly, we are betraying one another and betraying the whole country. That's how we're in the mess we're in. We have betrayed the Lord by betraying one another, not telling the truth, not speaking the whole truth in love. And so deviancy is defined downward. And this is what you get. And we don't like what we see. But we're not willing to deal with how we have defrauded our own country. Maybe starting in our own home. Maybe even our churches. We'll be right back. Stay tuned, friends. Much more to talk about. How about this business of fraud with our president?
0: There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind.
1: In the last few days, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, has issued an edict. It is an absolute edict that every member of the House shall wear a mask. Everyone coming into the Congress shall wear a mask. And if you do not, you will be subject to arrest and charging. Many have responded and said this is just not right, this is not fair. Well, let's consider that on the surface, will consider for the moment, for argument's sake, that it was fair. But then, Nancy Pelosi has been f- pictured, photographed, in a number of instances since then, not wearing a mask, where she should have been wearing a mask. Why did she issue the edict? Is she actually defrauding the members of the House of their freedom under false pretenses? If she's not going to wear a mask, apparently she doesn't believe in the necessity of wearing a mask, and therefore she has ulterior motives for requiring the others in the House to wear a mask And there she's she's depriving them of life, liberty, and, who knows, freedom, at least, fraudulently. Just thinking out loud here. Two other cases recently. Democratic Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser also issued a mask mandate. And then she went out, conducted a wedding Saturday night for hundreds of people and was photographed sitting maskless at a table along with many other of the hundreds of unmasked guests at a five-star hotel. Yet she, under penalty of... Criminal responses ordered those in Washington, D.C. to wear a mask. Was she defrauding them of freedom and life under false pretenses when she herself obviously didn't believe in the necessity of wearing a mask and was unwilling to coordinate and conform her life to that which she said she believed? sounds a lot like many Christians who hold the world to a particular standard or even other brothers and sisters in Christ to a particular standard. But then when it comes to their personal life, now you can't find them conforming to those same guidelines, those same principles Are we not defrauding one another? Do we not have a right to expect one another to live at least in reasonable conformity to what we say we believe? Are we not betraying one another in our expectations? This is serious stuff. Because if we're betraying one another, we're also betraying the Lord. That's not much different than Judas, is it? Who sat at the table, was with the Lord for three years, walking and talking and laughing and whatever else they were doing together. And then for whatever reasons that were unique to him, because he didn't like the fact that Jesus broke an alabaster, allowed an alabaster box of expensive ointment to be poured over him, saying, well, this should have been given to the poor. He went out, had a hissy fit, got his knickers all twisted up and betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And in doing so, he not only betrayed Jesus, he betrayed all of his fellow apostles, disciples, and their reasonable expectations of him He defrauded them of the unity that they could have had together that Jesus had prayed for in John chapter 17, that they may be one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me because they are united by my truth. Thy word is truth. Remember that? Archbishop Salvatore cordel condemned Speaker Nancy Pelosi's position on being pro-abortion and pro-Catholic, saying you can't have it both ways. Cordelione says abortion is responsible for the death of 66 million babies. But we have to see things with a consistent vision of affirmation of human dignity as Catholics, other Christians, and Jews as well, believing that we're created in the image of the likeness of God. In other words, the archbishop is saying we either is or we ain't. We're either made in the image of God or we're not. We either believe what the Bible says or not. Don't say you believe it and you're this wonderful Catholic or the wonderful Christian and then completely act contrary to what you say you believe. Because you won't, you aren't what you say you are. In other words, you are defrauding those who you claim are one with you as brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are not. He goes on to say being an anti-abortion is a universal moral good. All people of sound mind and good reason embrace this principle. The Archbishop has posted an open letter to the San Francisco Archdiocese website, and here's what he said. Let me repeat. No one can claim to be a devout Catholic and condone the killing of innocent human life, let alone have the government pay for it. The right to life is fundamental, the most fundamental human right. And Catholics and Christians do not oppose fundamental human rights. So, can it be rightly said that when Nancy Pelosi continues to advance the cause of abortion for political power, that she is, in fact, at at least in a spiritual sense, defrauding the body of Christ and defrauding the nation because the nation has a right to depend upon professing Christians to act like they say they believe. And if she doesn't believe that, then she has to admit she ain't what she says she is. Now, it's one thing to talk about Nancy Pelosi. It's another thing to bring that very same issue home to roost in our own homes, in our own businesses, in our own lives, and in our own churches. How many pastors are increasingly caving, not to cancel culture, but uh, caving to, what should we say, cultural pressure anyway, to approve abortion, to approve divorce, to approve remarriage when a person's divorced spouse is still living, Jesus calls it adultery, to approve the practice of homosexuality, to approve transgenderism, to approve all of these different kinds of things, well, because, well, just because they're all Nancy Pelosi's. For their own reasons, they've all become Nancy Pelosi. Maybe you never thought about it that way, but that's what it really is. In other words, we're betraying, we're defrauding the very people that we're wanting to convince that we're living a righteous and holy life. And then we can't understand why we're not making any headway in the culture and they don't trust us as Christians. No, they they don't believe that we mean what we say, say what we mean, or believe it. We're willing to conform just like they are. We're defrauding the culture, friends. We're defrauding the whole nation. And have been for a good 50, 60 years now. And they had a right to expect us to live according to what we said we believed. But we didn't. So the problem was not with the culture wars. The problem was with Christians who betrayed and defrauded their Lord and the nation by refusing to stand and having done all to stand to stand according to what they claimed to be in belief. And now we get to the article... that caused me to launch into this conversation in the first place. Bob Unruh wrote this piece, Horrendous Fraud, Americans Elected a Shell of a President. Might be the greatest of all frauds. So let me just share some of the excerpts here. Pluralities of Americans believe Joe Biden is not honest, cannot deal wisely with an international crisis, is liberal and cannot bring the nation together, reflecting a literal destruction of the image carefully coached by his campaign during 2020. In other words, the campaign presented one face, but the reality was totally different. In other words, the campaign defrauded the nation. The nation had a right, did it not, to accept what Joe Biden and his campaign was saying about his intent, and he had no intent whatsoever of following through on a single one of those things, and has done just the opposite. What do you call that? Was that fraud in the adducement? We'll be back. Viewpoint does determine destiny, friend. It always does, always has, and always will. in order to try to hide, cover up, or even destroy the facts of election fraud that took place on November 3rd. We know that to be the case because everywhere efforts have been made to try to investigate, they've been fought against and shut down. Now, if we were really interested in truth, and if we were really interested in protecting the right of the American people to believe in and trust their elections, then there would have been open willingness, given the circumstances, to look at the facts. But there has not been such willingness. Therefore, it is reasonable to presume that there was fraud in the fact of that election. That's my conviction. I'm not saying that there was. I'm saying there's reason to believe. And that means investigations should go on and should be welcomed if indeed we, the people in America, really want truth and really want to be able to trust our government. But aside from that, aside from the election aspect, this article by Bob Unruh, Horrendous Fraud, Americans Elected a Shell of a President. He said there may have been widespread voter fraud in 2020, but that doesn't mean a horrendous fraud has not been perpetrated on the American voters. He said Americans are catching on to President Joe Biden. They're beginning to see what Democrats, along with CNN and MSNBC and so on, so successfully hid from them during last year's presidential election campaign. By the way, Fox News is now in on it, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Fox News is now in with MSNBC, CNN, and is doing everything they can to prevent any further conversation or discussion regarding election fraud. So are they also, in a sense, seeking in a moral sense to defraud the American people of the truth? Just asking. Voters are discovering that they elected a shell of a president and frequently addled man with conviction of force, without conviction of force, whose every campaign promise was entirely bogus. In other words, false representations. Statistics reveal that 39% of those polls think Biden says what he believes, but 44% think he says what people want him to hear. And 41% think Biden is honest and trustworthy, but 42% don't. 21% say he can, he can bring the country together, but 53% says no, he can't. believe in Biden's ability to deal wisely with an international crisis, but 46% are uneasy. 51% think Biden is liberal or very liberal, while 27% contend he's only moderate. In other words, the reality of truth of the man's life is coming home to roost. The chickens are coming home to roost. On the economy, Democrats own both higher prices, inflation has been surging in recent months, and the fact that there are fewer jobs than expected. They created an artificial shortage of workers to fuel the recovery by paying people more to stay home than to return to work. Businesses large and small are having to put up to higher staff. And the border crisis, which has seen over one million people enter the country illegally since last September is also causing the White House problems, and rightly so. Only 35% of Americans approve of Biden's approach to immigration. Has a horrendous fraud been perpetrated on U.S. voters with the election of Joe Biden? He's underwater on approval for his foreign policy, how he dithered on Cuba, approved a Russian energy pipeline after canceling a major pipeline project that could have helped Americans. It seems like he's in favor of others but not his own country. He's eager to go back into the failed Iran nuclear deal and has snubbed Saudi Arabia. And Democrats now know they're in political trouble And that's why House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is conducting partisan hearings into the Capitol Hill riots of January 6th. She hoped it would take the spotlight off of Biden's slipping presence. Or shall we say, the natural consequences of misrepresentation and moral fraud. 51% say America is headed down the wrong track under Biden. 67% say the economy is only poor or fair. 45% say inflation and underemployment are equal challenges these days. 49% are not too worried or not worried at all about COVID-19 in spite of Democrats' constant mask mandates and lockdowns. Hasn't that also been perpetrated fraudulently? Have we not on this program? For weeks now, if not months, displayed the facts, the real facts, not fiction, the real facts from those who don't have a dog in the fight, who don't have money to be earned from it, who don't have political power to be earned from it. Have we not displayed the truth of the matter, how in fact, all of this has been pushed upon the American people, the masking, the uh, distancing, all of these things, when in fact, the CDC has waffled so many times, they actually could have owned all the stock in the waffle country, in the waffle, uh, whatever that uh, store is, uh, restaurant, Waffle House. They are the Waffle House. Dr. Fauci is the Waffle House. You can't trust anything they say because it's all politically motivated or financially motivated. I hate to be so straightforward on something like on things like this, but friends, we've gone too far to play games. To play, let's pretend that everything is wonderful. Everything is cool. It is not. On this program, we try to go for the very heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is the heart. It's not COVID-19. What's happened to the heart of America is a hundred times worse than what COVID has done to the heart of any American. On the big question of the day, only 61% believe that Biden legitimately won the election. Only 61% of Americans believe that Biden legitimately won the election. Now, let me just ask some very personal questions. Bearing in mind that I can't see you, uh, they say during the uh, Revolutionary War, don't shoot and see you s- until you see the whites in their eyes. But I can't see the whites in your eyes, but God can. He knows our downsittings and He knows our uprisings. And even as I discuss these things with you, I can't help but realize that I, too, am a human being just like you. Imperfect, wanting to do God's will, desiring to be a faithful, loving, dependable ambassador of his word, his will, his ways, and his kingdom. But realizing that from time to time there are areas in which That may not be true, depending on whose viewpoint. Sometimes by my own admission. The question isn't whether we're human beings. Somebody will always respond, but we're all human. And so they'll say that to try to take the focus off, to try to take the pressure off, to try to take the heat off. God doesn't want to take the heat off. Did you know that? God doesn't want to take the heat off of you. He wants to keep the heat on you so that you and I will change. He wants to keep the pressure on us. Did you know that two-thirds of the entire Bible is perceived by most people to be negative? Why do you think that is? Because God knows human nature. He knows how hard it is to get a message of correction through to those created in his image. Because we're stubborn, stiff-necked, just like Israel was. He knows that. And so, two-thirds of the entire Bible are framed negatively. That's why a lot of people don't want to read the Old Testament. They think the God of the New Testament is a different God. Not so. God has revealed himself as his character in the Old Testament. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And it's Jesus who is going to come to judge the earth in righteousness, not the Father. Both Old and New Testament say that. Which means that in this time in which we live, and we're coming increasingly to realize that we're in those times approaching the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if that be true, wouldn't you think that a wise person purporting to to be a Christian, purporting to be a follower of the Lord, would do everything possible to reassess his or her life in light of the righteous standard that God is holding. In fact, the Apostle John, the beloved Apostle, said, whoever has that hope, the hope of the second coming of Christ in him, will purify himself even as Christ is pure. Somebody might ask, well, purify myself? Can I save myself? No, you can't save yourself. It's by grace through faith. So what do I do? Well, God's grace, his unmerited favor, is bringing conviction into your heart, even right now. That's what the Word of God is designed to do. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing even through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It discerns even the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. That's what it's designed to do. And it's designed to be taught and preached just that way. Otherwise, all it is is a nice little salve to make us feel good for the moment. it's like putting a nice little cream on your severe injury it makes you feel good for the moment but it does nothing to make you well so the question haunting us here today is is there anything about our lives that either directly or indirectly is serving to defraud our families Defraud our children. Defraud our spouses. Defraud our grandchildren. Defraud our congregations. Defraud those in our workplaces. Mm. Think about it. Sincerely, consider getting a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints. $15 will put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. It'll help you work through an awful lot of these things. Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. God bless. Be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck grismire Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.